Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer and Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 206 being recorded on Friday, January 31st, 2020. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg. And as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. It's exciting times in the world of retail and e-commerce. Amazon reported their fourth quarter results back from 2019. Feels like a, a year ago, even though we're still in January of 2020. Um, and they were so impressive and important uh, to, I, I think, everyone in the ecosystem, um, not only retail, but e-commerce and shipping, uh, that we're really going to focus to do a deep dive in this episode on really understanding and unpacking these results, probably in a deeper way than we've ever done. So uh, look forward to taking you on that journey and, and love any feedback you have on that. Uh, before we do that, Jason, you in a couple short weeks are going to be uh, representing the podcast. Sadly, I can't make it, uh, but you will be in Etail West. Tell us about that. Yeah, I, I very mixed feelings. I'm super excited to go to Palm Springs, Palm Desert area in February, which is uh, much uh, warmer than it is in Chicago, as you you may know. Um, and uh, we we have a bunch of uh, uh, I think pretty interesting guests lined up for podcasts. So so stay tuned. For that, but of course, it's always sad to be in an industry event uh, without you. And I always feel like I'm cheating when I record a, a show without you. But obviously, there is a segment of fans who feel those are the the best shows and their favorites. Yeah, yeah, your mom, and uh, that's pretty much pretty much it. I'm pretty sure she's not in that segment. Boom. Uh, cool. Well, I look forward to seeing who you can rope into doing some interviews. Those are always really good. Uh, but that is coming up, and let's talk about Amazon. Amazon News. Your margin is their opportunity. So, uh, we're kind of mixing it up. As I mentioned at the top of the show, this was such a big quarter uh, that we think it's really important to spend a fair amount of time on it. So so we're going to break this into three parts. So we're going to talk about the setup going into uh, kind of holiday and what we learned before Amazon announced. Um, we're going to go through the highlights of the results. Uh, and then we're going to spend the bulk of the show on an analysis, really kind of picking apart what's this mean for the industry. Uh, so, Jason, why don't you take us through the setup going into Amazon's announcement? Yeah. So, uh, obviously, Q4 is a super important quarter for all of retail. And uh, it's been a little checkered coming into this Amazon announcement. So, um, MasterCard, which uh, has a panel of all, all people that, that uh, shop with a MasterCard, um, had reported that, that uh, retail sales for the quarter were decent. I think they said... Uh, total sales were up 3.5%, um, which is an uh, average to good um, growth rate for total retail. And they said e-commerce was up 18%. Um, and so that in and of itself uh, didn't seem so surprising. But then individual retailers started reporting. Um, and the folks that you, you might have expected to be distressed were generally more distressed than expected. And the people that you might have expected to do well... 
uh, also seem down. So it, it's been this odd thing where MasterCard said, hey, overall, it was kind of an average quarter. And then the overwhelming majority of people that were reporting uh, were reporting a, a pretty disappointing quarter. So, um, you know, that that created extra anticipation coming into the two biggest retailers, which were uh, Amazon last night. And then Walmart is on a really goofy uh, fiscal year. And so they they won't be reporting till February 18th. Uh, if if I have uh, if my memory serves, but so you know you wouldn't expect JC Penney to kill it, but they were down like seven point five percent. Kohl's was down, which as an off price retailer had traditionally been more resilient. A bunch of the apparel companies were down. Macy's was down. Uh, L Brands was down. Even some like value stores like Five Below, um, which is in that dollar category, those guys were down. Um, and Target was up. Uh, but they were way below their guidance. Um, so, uh, in general, uh, you know, leading into into this quarter, uh, it, it's felt like a pretty depressing quarter. We've also seen a lot of evidence that the quarter was way more promotional um, than any quarter ever, which means profits are likely going to be down. And we've heard anecdotally from a bunch of these retailers uh, that manufacturers have way more inventory than they usually have this time of year. And so there's a lot of distress inventory that manufacturers are trying to pump through the retail uh, channel right now. So all sort of bad indications uh, leading up to Amazon's announcement last night. So Scott, uh, can uh, you tell us how that, what, what, how it transpired? Yeah, I would say uh, that it was, you know, Wall Street was, was, Extremely surprised, pleasantly surprised. Uh, in in the world of public companies, you have this kind of, you know, what what's the current period expectation, and then what's the forward period expectation. So the current period in this conversation, the fourth quarter of 2019, the forward quarter would be Q1 of 2020. So this is what's called in Wall Street uh, lingo a classic beat. So they beat the fourth quarter of 19's expectations, and then they raised the Q1 2020 expectations. Um, when you do that, you frequently um, have a, a pretty immediate and exciting stock action. And, and that was certainly the case here. Um, so Amazon stock surged uh, today, Friday to 2008. Um, that's a price, not not a year, um, which is a, uh, over 7% one day increase. Uh, if you follow small stocks, you know, that, that may not seem like a big deal, but this is a trillion dollar stock. So 7% is... Uh, you know, $70 billion of, of market cap that was created. Um, so I don't know how that compares. It's probably like 20 JC pennies or something no, like uh, that. <laughs> yeah. So I did look at it and it okay. fluctuated a little today. It actually like, as we're recording this show, it's slightly nominally under a trillion dollars. Um, but, uh, it's the equivalent of the next six largest retailers in the market. So Amazon's market cap is the same as, Walmart plus Home Depot plus Costco plus Lowe's plus CVS plus TJ Maxx. Yeah, but even just the seventy-four billion created today is larger than than many individual retailers. Oh yeah, but, the seventy-four yeah. billion today is a larger market cap than TJ Maxx or Target. Uh, it's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so you talked about it, but that puts them just shy of the trillion dollar club. I, I think they're going to get there, um, and we'll talk about what Wall Street thinks that's going to kind of 
shoot them up there. Um, but just for uh, folks that are tracking this, uh, Apple is ahead at 1.35 trillion and Microsoft's 1.3 trillion. So Amazon's flirted with the trillion market cap club. And I, I, uh, you know, I think it's pretty safe to assume here that they're going to get there pretty quickly and stay there for the rest of 2020. So let's talk about the highlights that caused this this exciting uh, um, and peel the onion a bit. So, uh, you know, uh, one thing that's not customary for Amazon is talking about how many Prime users they have. So in the release and on the call, they talked about having 150 million Prime users. And in the fourth quarter, they sold more Prime memberships than they ever have before in any other period. Um, that's pretty material because you would think maybe Prime Day would beat fourth quarter. Um, but, you know, that's not the case. So so fourth quarter uh compared third prime days in third quarter. So, so they must've sold more prime memberships um, from the holiday sales than they did from prime day. Last time they announced this, it was for the calendar year, 2017, they announced it in 2018. Um, and they said they had a hundred million. So they have added 50 million uh, prime subscribers over a two year period, essentially. So, so that's pretty impressive. Um, from that, uh, there's a line item that counts that revenue and that's called subscription services that accelerated to 32% growth. Uh, again, kind of, um, supporting that, that, that kind of more vague statement that there was more signups than ever before. Uh, that was a pretty material acceleration of that metric. Um, and then, you know, another nice thing is that's, that's $5 billion just for the quarter. So, uh, that's essentially, you know, customers giving Amazon money in the future for, uh, you know, fast kind of quote unquote free services um, that, you know, helps Amazon's cash flows, which is pretty amazing. Uh, I don't think we've ever seen anything quite like that. It's kind of like prepaying for products almost. You, you, we see subscriptions, but you don't see kind of like almost a software as a service type prepayment. Um, so then the third party uh, unit uh, share came in at 53% of overall units, meaning first party was 47%. That was steady. Now what, what that doesn't capture is, and I'll talk about this in our, our deeper analysis, is unit volume is not the same as GMV, and we'll talk about that. So, so the transactional dollars, you could have unit volume kind of flat quarter on quarter, but you could have a huge surge in the dollar volume because the average order value could go up in 3P, down in 1P. There's a lot of things that can change that. The revenue from uh, what they call third-party seller services, this is largely what they charge sellers to use FBA. That grew 31% year-over-year and surged. I almost wonder if they're having a problem keeping up with this demand because they're building out fulfillment capabilities at about a 15 to 20% clip. And if the demand for FBA is growing at 30%, uh, that's going to be interesting. And we'll talk about the fulfillment side in a second. Uh, you know, I talked about this being a beat. So revenue came in 2% above the top line, which is a, a, you know, I would say a moderate beat, but what really surprised everybody was, um, the operating income. It came in 34% above, uh, the high end of where wall street would think. So, um, what happened here, uh, we'll, we'll talk about this in the analysis. So, Amazon, uh, so this was obviously a big question. Um, and Amazon said, you know, it was overall adoption of the Prime platform due to the new Prime One Day offering. Uh, so if you'll remember in Q2, they started offering One Day Prime. Uh, and this isn't available on every product. They're working to get it on more and more products all the time. But increasingly, you will find products that are available to come in one day versus you just have to pay a fee for one day delivery anywhere between like three and ten dollars uh, it always varied based on what i saw the 
um, inside of that, revenue uh, grew 21% year over year uh, to 87.4 billion. Paid units grew 22%. This gets Wall Street really excited because because Amazon has um, you'll talk about this the cloud computing, which is Amazon Web Services or AWS, the ad business. Um, you know those things kind of could be used to prop up growth, and the core business, which is we would think of as retail, could be growing slower. Paid units takes those things out. So when paid units accelerates and is growing, you know, I think you talked about the high end MasterCard at eighteen percent. This is growing faster than kind of what we thought was a pretty, you know, aggressive number. Um, that is a really big signal that something has changed. Uh, and most Wall Street analysts kind of view that as the signal that Prime One Day has really been a game changer. Within there, North America grew 22% year over year and international grew 15%. Uh, another thing uh, that's interesting is North America is well over two thirds of the business now. Um, and international is about one third. So that's how you can have, uh, you don't take those numbers and average them. North America's growth is able to swamp the growth on international. Incidentally, both those were above Wall Street's expectations. Uh, and then, you know, you and I uh, speak a lot and we always hear that Amazon's not profitable. Well, operating income came in at $3.9 billion. So uh, that is pretty darn profitable by my calculations. Uh, and Jason, you dug into the cloud computing stuff. How did that go? Yeah. Um, so first caveat, you, you talked about the, the rumor that, you know, people, the talking point that Amazon's not profitable. If they don't have that talking point, they have this talking point that, Amazon's profitable, but exclusively because of AWS, which is uh, also annoying and not true. Um, but that being said, AWS is a darn good business. <laughs> um, and so they, they had another good quarter of growth. Uh, revenue for the quarter was two, uh, $9.9 billion, which was up 34% from the quarter. Uh, they're by far the market leader. So when you're the market leader and you're growing at 34%, that's a pretty good story. Um, and it, it did beat Wall Street expectation. Uh, however, um, it is part. Uh, it is a clear uh, deceleration of the growth. So, uh, you know, from as far back as like Q1 2017, uh, this this business has been growing forty percent or better every single quarter. Um, and then Q2 of this year, for the first time, it dipped below 40. It was 37% growth. Last quarter, 35% growth. This quarter, 34% growth. So it does feel like uh, the the law of large numbers is starting to kick in, and and uh, this crazy growth rate is slowing down a little bit. But like for any business, uh, this is still great growth, and it's great growth on a, a big number. Um, and it is highly profitable business. And then the other you know, thing to, to keep in mind about this whole AWS service is the bulk of the the computing world is still not yet on the cloud. Right. So there's a lot of estimates that, you know, it's maybe 10 to 15 percent of all compute is on the cloud right now. So the uh, potential future market for these services is very large. And, uh, um, you know, it, it uh, is certainly a a challenge for their biggest competitors google and microsoft um interestingly microsoft reported today and uh you know they have a competing product called azure um and azure uh, you know on a much smaller base is is uh growing much faster so they they dramatically beat wall street expectations uh largely on azure's 62 percent growth which uh, also made some news so it's a pretty competitive uh 
hot, hot cycle. Um, but Amazon continues to do a lot to maintain their lead. And, and uh, I think they also rolled out something like 100 new AWS services this quarter. Yeah, there's uh, there's one argument, and this is not our purview, so I, I'm not an expert on this, but um, that Microsoft's kind of stuff in the ballot box because I think they put uh, Office 365 into their cloud computing. So they're essentially kind of taking the Office build it, kind of license, converting it over to cloud and, and then kind of counting it in that Azure number, if, if I understand right. Yeah, I think that is potentially true, but I'm not actually sure that is stuffing the box because if you, you know, if you think about it, they previously they had to sell those customers on office every year and often people didn't upgrade, right? And so if they're successfully able to migrate all uh, you know, a big chunk of customers to a SaaS model and they're delivering that from the cloud, like uh that that actually is indicative of of uh, them growing the business. So I, I I you know I'm not sure I would call that super nefarious, but uh, for sure it helps to have some super pro- popular products like that to goose your cloud business. Yeah, it's not nefarious. It's apples and oranges. We'll, yeah, we'll agree to disagree. Fair enough. Okay, um, but you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> as as per usual. <laughs> How about the ads business, Jason? Yeah. Uh, so this was another, uh, I, I mean, I feel like we shouldn't be saying another bright spot because they all seemed like bright spots. Um, but so a- Amazon has this segment of revenue they call other, which is uh, not exclusively, but mostly this, the advertising business. Um, and it was another uh, huge quarter for the, the other segment. It grew 41% to $4.8 billion. Um, so, uh, you know, they were on a run rate, uh, to do, uh, 10 billion in 2019. Um, and I think with this number, they're actually gonna, I I haven't added it up, but I think this actually puts them at like 11 or 12 billion for 2019. Wow. Are they, I think last time I looked, they were passing Snapchat and had a beat on Twitter. Is that, is that kind of, uh, nope. They've passed them both. Okay. Yep. So they just have Facebook the and third Google, largest which is a- digital advertising platform in North America. Yeah, those Facebook and Google are so big. It's gonna. Yeah, it's yeah. Hard we'll talk about them. that a little bit more in the in the analysis, but uh, uh, definitely a, a, a good quarter for ads, and it's having a ripple effect on the rest of the retail industry. Cool. How about physical stores? Yeah. So this is a, a new category Amazon had to add after they they acquired Whole Foods. Um, and this is down 1%. It's about the only thing in the whole earnings report that was down, um, and it was down 1% to $4.4 billion. Uh, it was also down 1% last quarter. Um, so uh, this is almost exclusively Whole Foods. The, I think there's like 80 other stores besides the, the 500 Whole Foods stores. Um, and it is interesting that it's down again. You know, normally brick and mortar retailers growing at like three or four percent. Uh, you know, Amazon's doing a bunch of interesting things in the Whole Foods stores, and and they're stores that cater to relatively affluent customers, which is you know a segment that has been more resilient. So you'd you would kind of expect it to be up. Um, and the thing that really kind of skews this number and makes it not all that useful for me is uh, Amazon has aggressively converted those whole food stores to home delivery stores. So, uh, you know, they, they launched a delivery service out of whole foods and they used to charge per delivery or they would sell a separate membership. They did away with all of that. And so you now can get free two hour delivery from a whole food store. 
Um, and they haven't disclosed uh, how many customers have, are, are regularly using that service. But if you use that service, you're in their e-commerce sales, not in their their physical uh, retail sales, because they they uh, at, attribute it based on on where the orders collected, and those orders are collected on the web. Um, so I, I suspected we knew what the the sort of BOPUS and home delivery uh, number was from Whole Foods and added it to this. Like, you know, I'm not saying it would be huge growth, but I, it probably wouldn't be negative. But uh, uh, as it is, you know, they're they're uh, slightly declining in a market with where other grocers are slightly growing. Yeah, that it's interesting, too, because they've opened up so many of these kind of little bookstores and four-star stores and all that jazz. You'd think that inorganic growth would help this number. So it, it must, you know, either it's like seriously declining and they're having trouble just treading water or to your point, they're recategorizing it. And and we there's a one piece of data we can't see to really understand what's going on. Yeah, and probably very likely a little of both. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so then that was that captures kind of the highlights of fourth quarter 2019. Now let's look forward um, again. A Wall Street thing is you give guidance. So companies give a range of how they think things are going to go. Uh, and they did a beat and raise on guidance. Um, so uh, revenue for the first quarter of 2020 was guided to above analyst. Uh, and Amazon says $73 billion, uh, at a at a midpoint, uh, if they get that, it would be 22% growth. So they're essentially saying, look, the new normal is 22% growth. Uh, so uh, buckle up. So that's going to be interesting there. Uh, and, and Amazon's historically somewhat conservative. So, you know, there, there could almost be I won't, I'll, you know, a shot that maybe like 25%. I, I don't know. Um, you, you get the sense that they are seeing something in the data from prime one day that is a game changer and, and really almost changing the business. Um, uh, but that being said, it was a little mixed uh, because margins were muted uh, in guidance and they, they were very careful to call out exactly why. Um, and I'll, I'll pick that apart when we go into the analysis side. Um, Wall Street brushed that off. They effectively said, look, you guys have shown us that this is paying off this investment in prime one day. We're comfortable with you continuing to do that. And, um, and Amazon's gotten really good about articulating how much they're spending, where it's going. And what's really interesting about it is uh, it, it's kind of forever dollars, which is nice. So effectively CapEx investing into new things that will be used for years and years. So uh, so then another area of investment that they specifically called out is India. Um, there's a lot of press. Jeff Bezos was in India. Um, you've probably seen the pictures of him wearing uh, kind of a funky jacket and doing like a, lots of fun things in India. Uh, it's a huge market for them. And they announced they're going to invest a billion dollars. Uh, I don't think they put a time frame on this. I kind of mentally racked it up to 2020, but um, it could go beyond that. It's certainly not going to be one quarter. Um, that's a, according to eMarketer, that's a $200 billion a year in five years area that's growing really rapidly. Uh, and then Amazon, you know, again, kind of in an uncustomary way, they, they put out some data around that market. They said they have 550,000 sellers now, uh, 60,000 of those export products. Uh, and then they've created 700,000 jobs if kind of amongst their three P's in India. They're, they're exclusively third party, so they don't have a first party kind of business. Um, and they've created those 700,000 jobs since their 2013 launch. Um, they did announce a huge investment in fulfillment centers we'll talk about in the analysis section. Um, and then based on all this data and uh, the results of Q4, analysts nudged their price ranges up 
uh, between 2,275 and 2,500. I saw some a little bit higher than that, but that seems to be kind of where everyone's clustering in that that section. Um, so again, they kind of ended the day at 2,008. Uh, I think they only have to get up to 2,100 to be in the trillion dollar club. So you know, analysts are expecting that that they will get there and stay there. So, uh, so those are the results. So we did the setup uh, heading into this this uh, announcement. Um, the highlights. Now let's really dig into what this means and do a, dig, a, a deep dive on it. Um, I want to spend uh, some time talking about this prime one day. So, so one way to think about Amazon is it's a capital intensive business because of the fulfillment center parts of it, unlike eBay. So, so eBay is a pure digital business. They don't have fulfillment centers or delivery trucks or anything like that. Uh, they may have some office space, but other than that, it's a pure digital business. Um, and what's, what's interesting is Amazon has now kind of shown to Wall Street, look, we're going to go into these invest modes and you know, we're going to invest heavily against something that we think is going to work, but then we're going to have a harvest mode. And that's what gets Wall Street really excited because when they have these harvest modes, uh, Wall Street is uh, typically perpetually surprised. Uh, well, they're always surprised the investment works <laughs> and then they're surprised by how much profitability comes out of that harvest. So I, I would characterize that is what's going on here. So Amazon, um, uh, again, started in Q2. And what they did is they said, they announced Prime one day. They said, we're going to announce uh, 800 million in that quarter. And then in Q3, they announced about a billion. And then in Q4, they've now announced that they spent one and a half billion all on Prime one day. So you swirl all that together and you get about a four to $5 billion investment in this new initiative. Uh, that seems you know, that, that's a really big number, uh, and it's very easy to be skeptical on that. Uh, but now we're, we're seeing that, that 22% paid uh, units number accelerate nicely. So, so you know, we're in that, entering that harvest mode. And what Wall Street analysts are thinking is, once we kind of lap Q2, that those investments will taper off, that the infrastructure for Prime One Day will have largely been built. There'll still be some more, but maybe it's going to be like 500 million kind of level of investing. Um, and then we're going to hit this really big harvest mode. So that's what's got everyone excited. Where does that dollars go? So when we say four to $5 billion, where does it go? It's all in shipping infrastructure. So it's more fulfillment centers. Um, one of the big things about, uh, so, so if you think about this supply chain, the end of the supply chain, uh, the, the start, I guess, of the supply chain is the fulfillment centers. So the products being there for consumers, then, uh, then at the end you have the consumer's primarily a residence. Um, so in the middle, the two important pieces where I think the bulk of investment are going is sortation centers. So to be able to ship all this stuff one day, you have to sort it into not only zip codes, but zip plus four so that you can get it on a truck that's going to do a very tight route um, and, and be super efficient. So Amazon's invested heavily in that. So it used to be they didn't have any, like five years ago, they had very few sortation centers. They were relying on the USPS, FedEx, and UPS for that function. So now they've built out that. And then they've also built out the trucks. Uh, I go to work uh, every morning. I have about a 30-minute commute, and I probably see 30 Amazon Prime trucks uh, on one of the major highways here in this area. Um, so, And those are just large... trucks following you to deliver to your place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're like, slow down. We're trying to give you all your packages. Um, so, you know... Uh, so again, uh, you know, this amazing amount of investment. And then what's, what's also interesting is they, they build these things, but then they, you know, um, they're, they're going to last for a very long time. You know, fulfillment centers last for presumably 10 plus years. Uh, they, um, the insides frequently have to be updated, but you know, the, the big kind of the pad, the walls, all that stuff and, and the sortation centers, um, I think 
that technology lasts even longer. And of course, trucks last a relatively long time. Um, so, so what they're building is they already had more infrastructure than anyone else. And they are just kind of like quadrupling down on that infrastructure. Uh, so, so that's kind of what prime one day means. And then, you know, my other point on it is consumers love it. So consumers are buying more and more frequently and signing up for prime because they love the one prime one day feature. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I, the way I think about it, like, um, that faster delivery service does mean they win more orders against other e-commerce sites. So, you know, maybe, uh, you ordered something from Amazon instead of Walmart because it'll arrive faster, but also, uh, it just entices households to order more stuff online that they previously might've ordered, uh, or, uh, purchased, uh, in a store. And so, like it, you know, I, they're not just stealing share from competitors. Like they're they're actually like increasing uh, the their uh, addressable market. So, um, yeah, good point. Uh, so that that is uh, very strong. Um, the question I get asked a lot about Amazon lately when I visit other retailers is around the ads. Um, the you know, as we've already highlighted a little and we'll talk about more, uh, Amazon has this rich ecosystem and everything feeds on everything else. And so, you know, increasingly, Amazon has this great diversified revenue um, uh, ecosystem, right? And all these different places they make money and, uh, you know, all the all these services they make money on that support the retail business like FBA, uh, fulfillment, all, all these new things. Um, if you're a traditional retailer that... Uh, you know, is just has e-commerce with all those other services, it's really difficult to be profitable. Um, and so in general, when we look at, you know, a omni-channel retailer that, you know, they, they generally have separate accounting for their e-commerce business and that e-commerce business generally isn't profitable or certainly it's less profitable than their, their brick and mortar business. And so, you know, most retailers are looking for ways to improve profitability. And then you see, um, wait a minute, you know, Amazon's building this huge, highly profitable advertising business on top of their retail business. Um, so uh, estimates are right now that that Amazon's ad business is about uh, 9% of all digital ads. Um, and so to put that in perspective, Google is currently, or I'm sorry, Facebook is currently at 22% and Google is at uh, 36%. Um, so Amazon's already the second largest advertiser. The forecasts are, are of course, for Amazon to go mu grow much faster than those others. So, so the 2023 forecast is uh, Amazon at 14%, Facebook at uh, 20%, and Google at 31%. So the, uh, the, you know, they're potentially getting much closer uh, to the size of these other uh big guys, and they have a ton of other revenue streams that these other big guys don't have. Um, in general, ad uh, sales is highly profitable because the cost of goods sold is almost negligible. Um, and so if you're Walmart or Target or any retailer and you're struggling for profitability on e-commerce and you look at Amazon, you go, man, uh, I need to get some of that lucrative advertising business to supplement my business as well. And so we've actually seen a bunch of other retailers um, invest more effort in their own uh, site monetization efforts or their own retail media efforts. And so 
uh, Walmart used to outsource ad sales to a company called Triad. And they they fired Triad and and built an internal team. They've now launched a bunch of their own uh, self service APIs so that you can programmatically buy ads on Walmart. Uh, Target, uh, you know, doubled down on on uh, their their uh, ad sales team, and they now call it Randell. Uh, Kroger bought a division of Dumb Dumb Humby and uh, rebranded, and they have this whole precision marketing thing. But I'll be honest, at the moment, uh, like obviously none of these these retailers have close to the traffic or eyeballs that Amazon does. So they're, you know, they're certainly not getting the same kind of share. And at the moment, all the dollars that every other retailer is getting in their ad program um, are what I call trade dollars, which means sort of uh, you're the Frito-Lay sales team at Walmart and Walmart agrees to buy, you know, a billion dollars of Frito-Lay and uh, of Fritos. And part of the trade agreement when Walmart agrees to buy all those Fritos is that Frito-Lay will kick in uh, some advertising dollars. And historically, those dollars might have been used in a store circular or uh, an in-cap or some kind of a, a sampling program in the store. And increasingly, those trade dollars are getting used for digital ads on walmart.com. Um, but those dollars are all being paid by the sales team you know, that sells stuff at Walmart. And what's unique about Amazon's ad sales is they're not just getting trade dollars. There's a lot of chief marketing officers that have a budget to build their brand, and they're deciding to take dollars that they used to invest in Google and Facebook and put those dollars in uh, into Amazon because there's a lot of eyeballs there with a lot of high buying intent. And so at the moment, uh, it's, it feels like like a, a huge advantage for Amazon that they're getting these these incremental dollars and other retailers are are trying, but really not being successful to sort of follow suit. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I get your point on there being no cost of goods. I, I would say I've had more random people that aren't in our industry complain about the searchability and findability on Amazon lately. And I think it's the ads um, kind of, you know, so, so I think there is a quote unquote cost of goods, maybe, maybe a better call it a cost of cons- you know, user experience or something. I, I do worry that, you know, it feels like we may have crossed over a point where the ad load is too high and it's kind of confused the buying experience. And then, you know, there's been a lot of negative press around counterfeits and bad actors. Um, those folks are going to be very aggressive on the ads because they, you know, they, they presumably have better margins than anyone because they're selling, you know, a, a product that, that is counterfeit and thus doesn't have the normal price structure of, of a real good. So, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see, is there a point where, you know, when does Amazon say, hmm, you know, our customer experience is suffering from the ad load? I, I don't. Yeah, no, for sure. If you're a business that just sells ads, so, you know, that's almost the exclusive revenue of Google or Facebook. Um, you know, there's this this like familiar pattern. They like create some organic benefit that gets a bunch of eyeballs to come and they trick people into building an audience there by giving them free eyeballs, and then they increasingly take away all the organic visibility and make you pay for visibility, right? So used to be you could have funny, interesting content on Facebook and people would see it. Now, you know, nobody's going to see anything on Facebook unless you pay an ad for it. Um, and that that's uh, not the world's greatest customer experience, but it, it, it kind of works if you're exclusively an ad platform. Um, but in Amazon's case, where they're, they're trying to provide all these other customer benefits, you're exactly right. It absolutely erodes the customer experience as more and more of the pixels on the, 
the first page of search results are paid for pixels instead of organic pixels. And a lot of people point to that as the most obvious uh, deviation from Amazon's stated goal of being the most customer centric uh, company on the planet um, is, you know, when you ask uh, for Duracell batteries and you, you and you get an ad, you know, that takes up half the screen for for Amazon basic batteries, like you're clearly not being customer centric. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see. Um, and then another interesting thing is whenever I talk to folks and say, well, where are you shopping? Uh, Target comes up a lot. So I don't know if there's something about the Target demographic that really doesn't like those, those ad load. But um, it, you know, in my mind, this is like maybe the, I don't even know if I'd call it an Achilles heel. It's like a little tiny microscopic it's a white spot on a go hill. after. <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, Mark Glory uh, did an interview at, at the uh, Code Commerce show last year, which would have been like September. And he specifically called it out. He's like, look, we're going to lean heavily into ad sales and we want to improve our, 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 our site monetization revenue. Uh, but what we aren't going to do is compromise the customer experience the way uh, some other people did. And he didn't he didn't name them, but it was pretty obvious he was talking about Amazon. <laughs> some large bookstores in Seattle. Exactly. Cool. Um, one of my favorite topics is uh, gross merchandise value or GMV. Uh, longtime listeners will, will be aware of this, um, but bear with me. So when Amazon reports their revenue, it includes only their revenue, their derivative revenue or their take rate from the third-party sales. So if Jason sells a $100 uh, Star Wars toy on the third-party marketplace, uh, Amazon's Blended take rate is about fifteen percent. So Amazon. So while Jason, uh, you know, sold a hundred dollar widget, and uh, presumably uh, Target and Walmart lost out on that hundred dollar widget, Amazon's revenue is only fifteen dollars from that. So, so there's this hidden transactional value in Amazon uh, that makes Amazon actually larger than you would think it is. So, so let's do put some numbers on this. Amazon's revenue uh, for 2019 was 280 billion. Of that, $87 billion was in the fourth quarter. Uh, I used to have my own analysis of this, and thankfully, uh, the Wall Street analysts do this now. So I'm going to quote uh, Ron Josie, who's an analyst at JMP Securities. Uh, Amazon now gives you enough data to kind of back into this number where I had to use some assumptions. Um, so the uh, so when you unpack the GMV, fourth quarter total GMV was $180 billion. So, so just shy of about 2x. Uh, and then the annual GMV was $569 billion, again, compared to revenue of $280 billion. So, so what happens in there is $28 billion of that $280 is third party. Then you have to gross it up about uh, you know eight times to actually get the GMV. This is important because I think that's the apples to apples comparison for how Amazon's doing in our industry. Revenue is important and uh, you know, and whatnot, but to really, so, so when Macy's or Walmart or any other retailer reports revenue, it's a hundred percent GMV, um, you know, asterisks, unless they have a marketplace and they're going to do the same thing, but they don't have marketplaces that are 53% of their business. So there, there is a little bit of uh, space under that iceberg, but Amazon's is massive. It's almost twice as large. So, so I think that 569 billion number for 2019 is the right number. That's the transactional value that went through Amazon. Um, this excludes AWS, it excludes ads, uh, et cetera. So Amazon's impact is twice what you think it is, 
And that GMV actually grew faster. It grew at 26%. Um, and that's because I think the physical stores and some of the other stuff kind of weighs on that growth metric. Um, if we, if we, uh, you and I uh, kind of share a chart, I guess, I forget which of us actually created it. So we'll, we'll, we'll split it, split the baby um, where we show a lot of people feel like Amazon's not as big as Walmart. Well, if you look at GMV, again, Amazon's 2019 GMV, 569 billion, Walmart's, uh, Trailing 12 uh, is about 520 billion. So I would argue that Amazon is now 10% larger than Walmart on an apples to apples basis. Um, one more tidbit there, uh, and then we'll, we'll dig into the fulfillment center, uh, is first party is growing pretty slow. Um, at about 10% year over year. Again, this is dollars, not units. So it's really interesting because the dollar, the GMV from 3P is growing very slow, but the units are holding steady. And what I think is happening is you have a lot of these kind of Kindle units and Amazon music units, just kind of like these one and $2 kinds of things. Whereas in the 3P, you're seeing big screen TVs and you know really big kind of priced items. Um, so, so we don't see it in the unit volume, but we are seeing it in the GMV mix. Third party grew, um, GMV grew 26% year over year in the fourth quarter. So, um, so, you know, any thoughts on that, Jason? Agree, disagree? Yeah, no, I, I generally agree. And I, I think, um, like not only is that, that 3P marketplace a big deal, it's like, A, again, intrinsically, it's, it's going to be more profitable than a, a 1P business because you, once again, you don't have cost of goods, uh, right? Uh, and so there's there's way less risk against your your capital, and and they've never reported profitability separate from their three P sales. If they did, um, it it's totally viable that this looks like a better profitability business than AWS would. Um, and these days, uh, they even have a huge accelerator. Like not only is the the three P huge and growing, um, but a bunch of the services that Amazon is wildly profitable delivering, they're primarily delivering to 3P sellers. So, you know, uh, the FBA, premium analytics, um, all, all, like all of the uh, the advertising, like they're, they're all tools to help 3P sellers be more successful and they make money on all those services. So it's, a uh, um, you know, even if you took uh, AWS uh completely out of Amazon, uh, there, you know, there still is this, uh, secret, highly profitable business model within the retail group, uh, segment. And it's the biggest part of the retail sales. Very cool. How about, um, any thoughts on fulfillment? Yeah. Um, so in, in my mind, like the two overwhelming moats that Amazon has, these two huge competitive advantages that are extremely difficult for any retailer to overcome is uh, the prime membership and, and that whole flywheel. And the other is this insurmountable investment they've made in fulfillment centers. And you, you talked about this a lot in the, in the uh, prime one day uh, section. Um, but uh, you know, they they announced that they're uh, gonna build something like uh, uh, like forty seven new fulfillment centers. Um, and again, it's hard to talk about uh, logistics buildings anymore because they have so many different types, right? Like they have these huge cavernous fulfillment centers, um, which are the most expensive thing. And as you mentioned, increasingly they have all these these uh, various hubs and sortation centers and delivery stations. Uh, and things they add on top of that. But to su super oversimplify, if we just talk about fulfillment centers, 
Amazon has 166 of those in North America that are operating right now. Um, the next biggest e-commerce provider, uh, if you, you count super generously, you might say Walmart has 20. Um, so, uh, like they're, they're an order of magnitude, uh, fewer, fewer centers. And then, you know, Amazon plans to build 47 more, which is, you know, more than double what anyone else even has. And so, you know, to me, it's, they've been taking all the cash, uh, that they generate from this business and they've been making these investments. And as you point out, these are investments that are going to pay dividends for 10 plus years and they make it totally viable for Amazon to increase the quality of their services. Right. Um, so uh, that, you know, the most obvious example is they could promise customers much faster deliveries. Um, and, you know, they had to make some investments in that. They kind of missed their guidance last quarter, primarily because of the, these unforeseen costs. Um, and so I like to talk about, you know, one day delivery was hard for Amazon and, and they gave themselves a cold by doing it. But they gave uh, the all of their competitors the coronavirus because nobody else was in a position to do to deliver anything like one day. Um, and, you know, it's much more expensive and much more difficult. And so, you know, we've seen retailers like uh, Walmart or, or Target kind of promise one day to match it, but they're, they're really only matching it on a tiny percentage of the SKUs that, that Amazon offers. So, so this is a super important, super powerful uh, competitive advantage. Um they do spend an awful lot of money delivering stuff to people. So, you know, a line item they do have in, in, in their earnings report is that, that um, fulfillment costs, and it, it was up 43% uh, uh, year over year. So they, they, this quarter they spent $12.9 billion on delivery. Uh, it was up huge last quarter, too. It was up 46%. So this is the fastest-growing cost they have. Um but, uh, you know, increasingly that that investment is uh, in uh, making things more optimal by delivering themselves rather than relying on U UPS and U.S. Post Office. Uh, so, you know, there was that Morgan Stanley report that came out late last year, uh, and it, it had two pretty impressive factoids in it. Number one, it said um, that Amazon may already be delivering more than 50 percent of its own volume. Um, so instead of relying on USPS and, uh, and UPS, uh, more than half the packages they ship, uh, you know, are now being delivered by their own uh, Amazon logistics, which is part of the only way they could, they could do that one day delivery. Um, and the Morgan Stanley report says, you know, you game this out and you forecast by 2022, Amazon will be delivering more parcels than UPS or FedEx. Um, so, uh, this is a, you know just uh, another huge, huge moat uh, that Amazon has against every other competitor. Um, and, you know, it, it's uh, it's having a material impact now on the traditional carriers like FedEx and UPS. Yeah, the um, FedEx gave uh, FedEx CEO, Fred Smith, um, he's kind of a legendary entrepreneur. He's been at this for like 50 years, something like that, since he was in his 20s. Um, they they had an interview with him and I saw a lot of people kind of online mocking his approach and I think they were misreading it. So, so what he said was effectively uh, my read on it was the, they had to pick sides, right? So they, they realized Amazon was going to be a competitor. They chose to not, not kind of continue to do business with a competitor, but now they're more aligned with omni-channel retailers. And he feels like 
that's going to be a winning strategy and that they will be able to get back on track and, and become larger than UPS. Um, and embedded in there, he didn't say it outright, is that because UPS has chosen the other path of continuing to partner with Amazon, at some point, Amazon will yank that volume and in these networks live on volume, right? Because if you're going to build all this infrastructure, you got to keep it busy and utilized. Uh, and then that will allow them to catapult forward. There, there is some evidence to support this. I saw a lot of people say, oh, you know, FedEx is going to save them all. So that's ridiculous. Well, I, you know, I think it's pretty clear when you think of which omni-channel guys need FedEx, uh, either in a partnership or, or even in an M&A, uh, you know, to your point about Walmart having 20 fulfillment centers, FedEx could help them keep up with and maybe even pass Amazon's capabilities. I don't, I don't have it broken down um, like like you know, we talked about there with Amazon's fulfillment centers, but you know they have a substantial infrastructure uh, across from uh, fulfillment centers, sortation centers, uh, both in ground and air, and then obviously trucks and planes. Um, so I think that's kind of what he was talking about: is really more partnering with a Target and a Walmart, maybe both of those guys, and providing an alternative to Amazon. And if I'm FedEx UPS, I, I kind of personally think that's the right strategy because you know. You you know partnering with Amazon clearly is going to be you know a, a, a race to death. I think you know maybe they'll give you some volume, the least profitable stuff, uh, but I, I just don't see it as a winning winning strategy. Uh, what are your thoughts? And I know you you we kind of drew straws, and I I got FedEx and you got UPS. I'd love to hear what you're think what you heard yeah, about. So yes, uh, it, it just just to pile on on the FedEx thing, like there are some ridiculous things that Fred Smith has said in the past about this space. Like you know two or three years ago. I think he called the notion that Amazon could be a meaningful uh, logistics company fantastical. Um, and I, you know, I think he, he's pretty clearly wrong there. But I, I agree with you, you know, um, uh, this year their plan to sort of, you know, move completely away from Amazon, like, is not a bad move because both FedEx and UPS have constrained capacity. Like, they sell all the trips that they can make. Um, and there are more e-commerce is growing faster than their capacity is growing. So when you have a constrained supply of something, you want to get the most money you possibly can for that. And the way you get the most money is not go to the biggest customer that has the most leverage and negotiates the lowest rates. Right. So, uh, FedEx can, you know, better maximize its capacity by partnering with these people that need it more than Amazon needs it. So that like that seems like entirely uh smart strategy on FedEx's part I would I would say and then there was this little I, I don't know how much of it was real versus tip for tap but you know there's this small service that's people talk about but it's not very large yet um and I uh, you're going to remind me what the vernacular is but a uh, uh, vendor fulfilled prime yeah seller fulfilled prime and Thank then in there the seller can choose yeah. which so which yeah current. so in that scenario you don't put your goods in in Amazon's uh, fulfillment um, network, you keep your goods in your own warehouse and you promise Amazon that you're going to deliver them within the terms of prime shipping. Um, and Amazon has to certify you for this. And uh, around holiday this year, they said, hey, if you want to stay certified for seller fulfilled prime, you can't ship your packages via FedEx because FedEx on time delivery uh, rate is too low Uh for to meet our high standards and so they they turned off fedex in the peak of holiday and then they they turned it back on and they they alleged that that's a data-driven decision uh but it's it certainly got a lot of buzz um so slightly uh contrasting this like ups has continued to be a big partner 
uh, of of Amazon's. And, you know, you, they are the third largest provider to Amazon. So if Amazon's the biggest, second biggest is the post office, third biggest is is UPS. Um, and uh, the, you know, the, the thing you have to remember about UPS and FedEx is they both built their businesses primarily to deliver stuff to offices, right? So you drive a truck to an office and you get to drop off 30 boxes. When you drive a truck to a house and only get to drop off one box, it's way less efficient. So FedEx and UPS, although they're trying to improve, were built for commercial deliveries, not residential deliveries. Uh, and that's where the U.S. Post Office really comes in is they're good at these residential deliveries. Um, and for your point, as Amazon builds out more of their own capability – that more and more they're likely, you know, taking the the efficient deliveries themselves that they can make the most money on and giving the the bad deliveries to to the their partners. And, you know, their partners like price their services based on having a, a, a profitable mix. And so, like, that's another way that that uh, this whole business probably hurts hurts uh, the UPSs of the world. But um, we are seeing UPS add some interesting e-commerce friendly services. So I've noticed three big announcements this this month. Uh, UPS is is going to a seven day a, a week delivery and they're adding a ton of, of weekend delivery capacity, um, which again, when you were primarily delivering, uh, you know, contracts to businesses, businesses weren't open on the weekend. So weekends weren't important. But now that you're doing e-commerce, the weekends are potentially the most important delivery days. Um they they uh UPS is also making a big investment in uh rural delivery infrastructure which you know we just mentioned is something Amazon's likely to need more help with for longer um and then they also this week announced uh this new technology that they're rolling out that they call dynamic routes um and essentially what what that means is they're using AI every morning to decide uh where that that truck driver goes right so that driver uh, you know, in one shift is likely going to stop at a hundred locations to do deliveries. And in the old world, like they, they, you know, delivered to the same hundred locations in the same order every day. And now that's going to be, um, sort of optimized using artificial intelligence to, uh, save gas and optimize the amount of deliveries they can do. So, so we are seeing them try to do more e-commerce centric stuff. Um, but, you know, I, I would uh, point out and argue uh, if you're Walmart and you get make a huge partnership with FedEx um, and Amazon is primarily now relying on their own delivery infrastructure, that that is still a huge advantage to Amazon because by the fact that they own it, it's much easier for them to change and improve their own um, service. So if uh, Amazon decides customers really like being able to track the driver and know that the driver's half an hour away from your house. Uh, they can do that. If, if Amazon finds out the customers really want a picture of the box when it's delivered so they can see where in their building it is, that they can do that. They can add all kinds of customer-friendly services. If Amazon wants that driver to pick up returns, they can do that. But if you're Walmart and you're paying FedEx to provide all these services, you have a lot less control over sort of designing and improving your own product. Um, so again, yet another big, big edge, uh, to our, our friends in Seattle. Two, two last things on, uh, fulfillment here. And, and we're spending time on this cause we think, uh, you'll see when we do this kind of put the bow on things, why we think this is so important, but, uh, number one, uh, FedEx has a market cap of 34.7 billion. Uh, Walmart is 30, 
324. So it's, it would be a big one, but it's not outside the realm of possibility. It's not like they're equals. UPS is $88 billion, so that one's kind of out of the realm for someone like a Walmart or a Target to acquire. Um, and I think that's kind of where this is going to have to go. Maybe you know, there's there's a in corporate strategy. There's a whole thing: why buy a cow if you can just have the milk? So so maybe there's no need for them to buy these things. But you know, and maybe if I'm Walmart, I'm okay. As long as they're not doing Amazon, I'm okay sharing that infrastructure with Target effectively. So, so that's going to be interesting to watch. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up is the challenge the, the carriers have. Uh, this is the same for UPS, FedEx, and USPS is residential deliveries. They've tried for kind of each individually 20 plus years with the smartest route optimization and sortation to get the stops per truck up. And they have been range bound to between 70 and 80 stops a day. Um, so, so that's kind of the, the capacity of the system is really driven by how many stops in a residential delivery can a truck make. Here's how Amazon solves that. Uh, we mentioned at the top 150 prime subscribers. Now a hundred million of those are in the United States. There's something like 200 million households. So the way to get the stops per truck up is if you're stopping at every other house, right? <laughs> because, you know, uh, I don't know the data, but, but I imagine, you know, you could probably, 4x that stops. So I, I bet these prime trucks are making, you know, certainly double that, if not triple that. So they could be making 200 stops. In fact, I bet the it has changed the dynamic, and it's really just how much each truck can hold, um, because I think the stops have, have have gone so high because they've got the loyalty program where they're delivering stuff to every house, uh, every other house essentially, not every day, but it's enough that it really dramatically solves this this routing stops per truck problem. Yeah, uh, all true. I will say uh, what, you know, we talked about there being like a slight negative that other people could attack. The w- one incremental headache that Amazon uh, inherits by having their own logistics um, delivery capability is, uh, you know, they're now getting a lot of negative press for like, you know, having all these, uh, you know, this this high pressure on all these drivers to maximize their deliveries and get everywhere as quick as they can. And so there's, a bunch of uh, Amazon employees and independent contractors working on Amazon's behalf, uh, driving unsafely on the roads and, you know, potentially um, hitting people and causing accidents and and even deaths. Um, And I I think it was disclosed not too recently that like uh, this happened a while ago, but the, the first CFO of Amazon apparently was, actually killed walking across the street and he uh was hit uh by a Amazon uh delivery driver so the the company literally killed their first CFO um, I think that was a woman it was a woman you're right yeah yeah Jennifer or something yeah um, yeah cool. super sad story but so they're they're going to have to deal with that like I you know I don't know if people remember but in the 90s all the pizza delivery companies used to promise 30 minute deliveries and you know that created the the same problem and they, they sort of figured out how to manage it. So I kind of suspect Amazon will as well. Yep. Cool. So we've, we've gone through the setup, we went through the results and then our analysis. Uh, and now we're going to conclude by kind of giving you an action item. So, so we're trying to say, all right, uh, we're going to put ourselves in our listener's shoes. Uh, a lot of this may seem a little scary if you're uh, a retailer, even if you're a brand, um, you know, what do you think about this? So, so here's my take. My conclusion is uh, Prime One Day is a complete game changer, and it took us kind of a year to figure this out, but it's really showing up now. Number one, customers love it. 
Um, number two, it's a knockout punch to competitors. Uh, you talked about it increasing the addressable market, which is great, but people are, you know, uh, competitors already can't do two day prime. Now they're up against one day prime. What's next? Same day prime. Uh, you know, I, th- I think this infrastructure can largely be used for all that stuff too. And then number three, it is effectively kind of already paying for all this shipping infrastructure. So, so again, I think it's paying for itself right now and it's going to be around for, for five to 10 years plus. Um, so also Amazon, it, it's offered on a small number of SKUs. So I think there's going to be two to three years where they're going to be able to expand the number of SKUs that are, that are available in prime one day. Uh, and then that will get them 20% plus growth for two or three years long enough to find the next catalyst for an acceleration. Maybe that same day prime, maybe they figure out grocery Alexa ads. They have so many, so many irons in the fire. Um, they have a really good chance of finding that next big thing. So, so the action item is I think retailers need to really, you know, kind of take action on this for this holiday, um, you know, holiday of 2020. We have a lot of time, thank goodness, and really start figuring out, can you partner with UPS or FedEx to offer one day? Uh, and what's that going to be like? And, and what, you know, how do you build that out? Because it's clear consumers love it and it's clear Amazon has invested massively in this and will continue to do so based on the results. Jason, what was your your conclusion and action items? Yeah, so I mean, I think at the at the highest level, um, they've they've established these two dominant moats, Prime and uh, their their fulfillment capability. And I think at this point, um, no retailer strategy should try to be to catch up with them and go head to head with them on either of those two things. I think just the the idea of trying to be an everything store and ship. Uh, hundreds of millions of products in the in the same day to any U.S. consumer uh, in competition with Amazon is a lost cause at this point. And so, you know, if you're a retailer, you need to think about the white space that that Amazon's decisions has created for you, right? And so, um, you know, the you you got to think about uh, products and services that benefit from the fact that you have this brick and mortar footprint, right? And I I see. Uh, Target in particular doing a, a really good job of leveraging the store. Uh, I know I talk about grocery a lot, but grocery is a perfect example. Uh, you know, groceries never, you know, bananas are never going to live in all these giant fulfillment centers and get delivered through the sortations uh, center and all that to the consumer. Uh, they're probably always going to get delivered from a store or a micro fulfillment center. So, you know, if, if I'm a, uh, Walmart in particular, but any big retailer, you know, grocery is one of the categories I want to try to win from Walmart. Um, I really want to think about uh, services that customers want that might make the fulfillment centers obsolete, right? So uh, you know what's not very good if you're uh, if you own 200 fulfillment centers that have billions of dollars of inventory in it is if consumers stop buying, off the rack products and start ordering products that have to be made to order or personalized to order. Um, suddenly all that fulfillment infrastructure isn't so valuable. So if I'm any other retailer, I might be leaning into personalized products. Um, if a lot of these products shift to auto fulfillment, uh, the ability to ship really fast and quickly may not be, be quite so important. So if I'm another retailer, I'm leaning into that. Um, and, uh, you know, for sure I'm, I'm doing things like, thinking about uh, using my customer base to design my own products and sell stuff that Amazon can't sell. Cause uh, you know, competing with Amazon by selling other people's stuff, I think is just going to be uh, increasingly uh, unviable for almost anyone. 
And that's my uh, my shtick. Uh, I totally agree. Awesome. Well, uh, it has happened again. We've gone slightly over our allotted time, uh, but I feel like there's a, a, a particularly important uh, event in our year, and uh, uh, it's w- well worth the time that uh, listeners spent to sort of get their arms around all the, the various things that are going on in Amazon. And as usual, if you have any questions or comments, uh, hit us up on Twitter or visit our Facebook page. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's time to get some fresh five-star reviews. So I know I say this every time, uh, but seriously, it'll take you 10 seconds. Jump over to iTunes and uh, give us that that five-star review because we need, we need some 2020 reviews, not those those uh, old reviews from those of you that have been with us for a long time. So I appreciate uh, you doing that. Thanks, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this new kind of format for an Amazon quarterly result uh, where we dove a little bit deeper. Uh, And if you have any feedback, uh, positive or negative, we'd love to hear it. And until next time, happy commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com. 